0: Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Well, good morning. Welcome back to our series that we've called The Lion Revealed. It's a survey of the book of Revelation. We're going verse by verse through there. Uh, Revelation is the one book in the Bible that God promises us a blessing if we will read it. And and it means literally to read out loud in the Greek. If we read it out loud, God will bless us. Turn with me in your Bible to chapter 10 is where we are this morning. We left off a few weeks ago with the sounding of the sixth trumpet of judgment upon the earth in chapter 9. We have read the judgments that will occur in the first three-plus years of the Tribulation. Now in chapters 10 through 14, we will see what takes place at the midway point in the Tribulation. There's a turning point that happens. Rather than continue on with the seventh trumpet in chapter 10, John is directed to once again take an interlude, kind of take a break from the graphic experience in order to hear eyewitness testimony from various sources that we're going to see this morning. So first, if you like to take notes on the back of your bulletin, you may do so. First, we hear the testimony of a mighty angel the testimony of a mighty angel. Let's begin our time in the Word in chapter 10, verse 1, where we see letter A, the angel's description. The angel's description. Chapter 10, verse 1. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, Some equate this angel with the person of Jesus Christ himself, and that would certainly be a strong possibility. Jesus is referred to as uh, the angel of the Lord throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Oftentimes we hear about his second coming in the clouds, and we will be drawn up in the rapture. We will be called up to the clouds where Jesus is, so this could very well be uh, our Lord and Savior. Um, however, in the New Testament, he's not referred to as an angel at all in the New Testament. This mighty angel is also consistent with that of Michael the archangel from Daniel chapter 12. You can read that on your own. You'll see uh, strong similarities there. We'll, find, uh, well, I guess we'll find out when we get to heaven, right? Uh, if God didn't tell us exactly who it is, then we must not need to know. Let's see and hear the testimony of this mighty angel. Chapter 10, verse 1. And a a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun. Again, another strong um, uh, argument for Jesus. And his feet like pillars of fire. We've heard this from chapter 1. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. The contents of this little book remains a mystery. It could be a synopsis of the seven scrolls. That's kind of what I would imagine, that um, all, all that we've seen over these past uh, nine chapters, maybe they're all condensed in this little book. We're not told exactly. Having one foot in the sea and one foot in the land denotes uh, the authority of God over both Continue on in verse 3. And cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. Again, here we are back pointing, strong possibility this is Jesus. This is an argument for him. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. Apparently, there are secrets that God doesn't want us to know. Uh, John got to hear what was said, but he's immediately directed, do not write that down, what you just heard. So we've seen the angel's description, and now we hear the angel's decree. The angel's decree. Verse 5 the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants, the prophets. That's important to pause here to define the word mystery. A mystery, biblically speaking, is that which is known by someone that can only be understood by others when it is fully revealed to them by that person. One day between the sixth and seventh trumpet, this mystery of God's judgment will fully uh, be understood by everyone which it is revealed to. Verse 8, then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and I said to him, Give me the little book. Now, that's my strongest argument that this isn't Jesus. I don't imagine John talking to Jesus that way. (laughs) Give me the little book. (laughs) No, I'm gonna, I'm still, that this is an angel. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Verse 10, then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. What a powerful picture here. This angelic being, whether Jesus or Michael or another angel, is holding up their their hand up to, to the air. As one who would give testimony in a courtroom. Have you ever given testimony in a courtroom where you had to go stand or, you know, in, in the well there, we call it, and, and, you know, raise your right hand and repeat after me, and, and then, then you go over to the witness stand? Uh, not many people in here. Um, okay, there's a few of us. Yeah. Um, that was always kind of a, a solemn moment. I have to tell you, for visitors, I was a police officer. It's not that I was in trouble all the time. Um, we, just, we should just move on. It begins with the worship of God as creator. In verse 6, we've seen Jesus judge his creation, the seas, the land, the stars, and the people, and there are more to come, of course. In verse 6, he states that there should, be, uh, there should not be any more delay Listen, God is right now delaying his judgment. Even now as I speak, as these words fall on your ears, God is delaying his judgment. He has not sent his son back. He has not called us up to heaven. Right now he's delaying his judgment on earth. He is a God who is patient. And and speaking personally, I am so grateful he's patient. I would have given up on me long before I came to Christ. Second Peter 3.9 tells us this. It says, The Lord is not slack or slow concerning his promise. What promise? The promise to return. As some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's heart. You see, hell was never designed for human consumption, ever. Hell was designed for, for Satan and his demons. His, God's desire is not that even a, a single soul would go to hell, but he leaves the choice to us. And while God is patient and long-suffering towards uh, rebellious mankind, there will come an end to his patience, and justice will arrive for all who have hardened themselves against the Lord, For him to be a righteous judge, he has to one day bring justice, or he's not righteous or just. And of course he is. So one day he will bring righteousness and justice to this planet. We've read a little bit about it so far. The instruction to John to eat the little book reminds us that understanding God's instructions, his will and his plan for our lives begin with us consuming his word. I don't know that there's ever a Sunday that goes by that I don't tell you to read your Bibles to be in the Word. You've got to know what the instructions are for that day. You've got to have some strength come into your soul every day to consume it. And I believe this is a beautiful picture of, the, of what the angels telling John, "Eat this." And while they are sweet words going in, oftentimes um, you know they they create um, apprehension. And John's stomach is bitter. Why? Because he sees what's about to happen or what, it, what is going to happen in the near future when Jesus judges this planet. The Bible refers to God's word as, as bread, milk, meat, and honey. Interesting. It's all food. And you've got to ingest it every day. I've asked this question before, what would happen if you chose not to eat food for six months? Well, if you were alive at the end of six months, and that's an if, uh, you would be emaciated. I doubt you could stand. Your heart would perhaps barely be beating. Who wants to go through life like that? God's word is to be consumed every day. It's to refresh us, revive us. It's it's to give us the nutrients that we need to stand up to what's going on in this crazy world. You're going to need to eat God's word all the way through to the end. Chapter 10 ends with the following instruction from verse 11. And he said to me, this angel, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. There is much more that will be said. These references are, uh, when, when the Bible talks about nations, when it, when it uses that word nations, it's almost exclusively the Gentile nations, which God has much to say about in the remainder of Revelation. So first we've heard the testimony of the mighty angel. Now second, chapter 11 begins with the testimony of the two witnesses the testimony of the two witnesses. Let me provide some background on them. The location here is the city of Jerusalem. The time is the the first half of the three and a half years of the tribulation before Antichrist reveals his true evil self to the world. Antichrist Who has risen to power brokers a seven year peace and the ability for the Jews to be able to build their new temple on the the Temple Mount and resume worship of God inside of it. More on that in just a few chapters. But let's hear from the two witnesses now. Letter A the purpose of the two witnesses. Here's the purpose of the two witnesses. Let's resume our reading in chapter 11, verse 1. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple. This is the court of Gentiles. And do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot. For 42 months. Measuring denotes dominion and authority. During this time, the Gentiles are in control of Jerusalem. And in just a few chapters, we'll see the Gentile Antichrist and his evil agenda for planet Earth and the Jews and mankind in general. And he breaks this agreement with Israel halfway through. At the three and a half, there's a seven-year brokered peace, but at three and a half years, Antichrist is going to break his word. We're going to read about this uh, shortly in weeks to come. But God never, ever relinquishes control over his creation. He gives Satan boundaries in which he must remain inside, but God is still in control of all that happens here. Verse three, and I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy one thousand two hundred and sixty days. Now that's roughly three and a half years. Clothed in sackcloth. Now, what is the sackcloth? Well, if you go to the Old Testament, that was a sign of repentance. It was a sign of of great pain, you know, anguish, uh, when when the uh, nation would would fall into. Uh, you know disrepute and start following you know other gods and 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 that uh, the prophets very oftentimes would just throw dirt on them. They'd tear their clothes and they would just cry out to God, and uh, it was a sign of of a broken heart, a broken spirit. And so these two uh, witnesses are in, they're clothed in sackcloth. They're crying out to uh, to Israel. The two prophets, their names are not given to us, but many scholars believe this could be Moses and Elijah, and I have no reason to disagree with them. Strong possibilities. Notice that they bear witness to God's word, and they perform miracles of judgment as well. Verse 4. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. Now, this is evoking the story of Zechariah that's found in in his life where the lampstands were being continually supplied uh, with olive oil. Uh, Olive oil is a metaphor throughout the Bible of the Holy Spirit who, who strengthens and emboldens and empowers in order to keep the flames lit. The story, you can read it on your own there in Zechariah. These two witnesses will have supernatural power to do the work of the Lord without fear of harm from Satan as well, as we move into, uh, into verse 5. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. God puts his, his hand on these two witnesses, and no one can touch them. They, they prophesy outrageous things. They, they confront kings, and so God's hand is on them so no one can touch them. They'd have been killed long before uh, all of this. They, I don't think they would have lasted a few days, but God puts his hand on them, and for three and a half years, they prophesy to Israel and really the world, um, telling them to return, to repent. The earth dwellers will seek to shut up these two But God's hand of protection will prevent them from doing so for three and a half years. Wow, what a run they're gonna have. Verse six, these have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire, no wonder the earth wants to kill them. They don't want to hear what the, you know, the prophets are saying. They're prophesying you know, nothing but, but bad things. And out of their mouth, they can, they can just shut down the rain. They, they can turn rivers into blood. Already we know that there's a crisis in the world, that the fresh waters have been struck, the oceans have been struck, the, the harvests. Have been struck. Food is, is at, at almost non-existent. People are, are looking for crumbs under wherever they can find them. And yet, and now here come these two prophets, and they're not bringing good news. But they are bringing good news. Repentance always brings good news. Maybe hard to stomach. And that's that sour part that we were talking about. But it's always it always brings life if people would follow it. We've seen the purpose of the two witnesses. Now we'll see the uh, letter B, the murders of the two witnesses. The murders of the two witnesses. Verse seven. When they finish their testimony, after three and a half years, when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and he will kill them. Note here that God's witnesses, faithful Christians who testify of Jesus and who carry out their God-given mission on earth are immortal until that mission is complete. You ever wonder how you know these missionaries, we read about them going into these crazy places, these dangerous places, landing their plane, and going to take the gospel to a tribe they've never spoken to before. And then they're killed eventually. Or sometimes we hear the story of how they go to kill these missionaries, and the missionaries are inside their tent or their structure out in the middle of nowhere, and they begin to pray and ask God for help. There's one story of of a, a tribe that Comes to kill them one night, and while they're outside, the missionaries are inside praying, asking God for protection so that they might continue to reach these lost people. And eventually, they just disappear. And time goes on, and many come to start coming to Christ. And years later, they ask, Do you remember that night? And they all look at each other and they nod, And what happened? You came to kill us, right? And they said, Yes, but. Your tent was surrounded with these um, spirit warriors, and we we decided we better not mess with you. You know, God, you know God's person here. David Jeremiah says this so so eloquently: the man of God, in the will of God, is immortal until his work is done. Listen, you don't have to be afraid to go out and speak the gospel. God's hand is on your head. Your days are numbered. Someone said there's a there's an expiration date behind your ear. I haven't been able to find it. But there's an expiration date for all of us. And listen, you can't change that, and neither will God. He'll protect you all the way through. Our job is is to go and to tell. Verse 8. And their bodies, their dead bodies, will lie in the street of the great city, Jerusalem. Which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Note the reference to these two cities Sodom, which uh, illustrates and evokes the meaning of sexual immorality. So Israel is overtaken, Jerusalem is overtaken, apparently, with sexual immorality at this time. And then he calls them Egypt as well, which illustrates slavery and oppression. Uh, throughout the Bible. So here they are. They're they're slaves to sexual immorality, even in God's chosen city with God's chosen people. Jerusalem, the place where Jesus was crucified, will be a place of great sin at this time. Verse 9, Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations, again, these are the Gentile nations, will see their dead bodies, three and a half days, and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. These are the Gentiles, and and, and this word evokes that the whole world will be able to see them. The whole world. Now, just a matter of what, uh, not too many decades ago, this would have been impossible to go live with a shot of these dead bodies laying on the streets of Jerusalem, but now everyone is going to see it. And they hate these two so much, they don't even, they're not even going to give them a burial. Um, they're just going to leave the bodies right there. Mankind refuses to honor them in any way. This is, a, by the way, a great slap in God's face. These are God's two emissaries, and they murder them and leave their corpses in the street. Verse 10, and those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry, they're glad that they're dead, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. God was still sending his message of salvation. And in spite of all of this, uh, in spite of his mercy, in spite of his, his great grace, these people murder his prophets. The entire earth will rejoice over seeing the lifeless bodies lying on the streets. This hasn't been possible at least for 60 years probably until 60 years ago with the invention of mass media and live reports. Now people will be whipping it up on their phone going, oh good, they're dead. They'll be able to see this. The world hates them because they confronted the world with their sin and called them to repent and believe in Jesus Because the world lives off a lie, they couldn't bear to hear the truth day in and day out for three and a half years. At their deaths, they celebrated a kind of Christmas tradition of exchanging gifts with one another. What a a perversion of Christmas. Satan always takes what God does and then he perverts it. You ever notice that? We're gonna see a lot more of it here in the Sundays to come. He's going to have his own trilogy formed here pretty soon. Um, like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Satan, you know, he doesn't have an original thought, so he just does what... Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit restoredcommunitychurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.